0: Uh, I don't know about you, but I had an eventful, uh, adventurous break, uh, namely around uh, the gas. We had a gas leak at our house, which meant the hot water and the heater had to be cut off for a week. And we had family coming into town, so that made things quite complex. So I'm very happy to be through the holiday and here with you. And the other day, I was taking time just to go through 2019. And to write out just different areas that were highlights just so that I could thank the Lord for them. And as I was making that list, so many of them, uh, so many of the things that I thought about were, were you and your faces and your spirit and the way that you love Jesus and the way that you love people. And I just want you to know I'm so honored that you are a part of this church I'm honored to get to be your pastor for another year here in 2020, and I'm really excited and I feel a sense of anticipation in my heart as we begin 2020 together. Yeah. And here's what I'd like to do kind of as we get started today. I want, to, I want you to think about some things that make you happy some things that make you happy. And what I want you to do is to someone sitting around you, a little audience participation, I want you to share with someone sitting around you one thing that makes you happy. It can be as trivial as glazed donuts, or it can be as deep and as thoughtful and as coffee shop heart to heart as you wanna go, right? One thing, doesn't have to be the only thing, your best thing, but just one thing that makes you happy. Go for it. Okay, let me hear some answers. What are some things that made you happy? Donuts, Donuts. there you go, donuts. What made you happy? Chips and salsa, salsa, most definitely. Say it again? Your dog, okay. Sunshine. Sunshine, yes. Any more? Bacon, all right. All right, there you go. Yes. Newborn babies babies make you happy. That's awesome, right? What I've found, regardless of where you're from, uh, how you grew up, uh, what you like or don't like, we all long for and just love happiness. We love joy. We love to be happy, right? It's in our Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness, right? We're we're made for that. We long for happiness happiness. I read one theologian who said it's as natural for people to want to be happy as it is for fire to burn. Like we just all have this longing for happiness. And as you're thinking about 2020, as we enter into the new year, uh, you might be making some goals or some habits or some things that you're wanting to do this year. And I guarantee if you dig underneath the hood on all of those different goals or habits or things that you have on your plate, underneath them all, is rooted in a longing for happiness. You think they'll make you happy or they'll make someone you care about happy or they'll make our world happy, but we just, man, we just gravitate towards happiness. It has a gravitational pull on who we are. And yet at the same time, we know that happiness is elusive. It's not easy to come by. Uh, We're in NFL playoff time, and uh, my condolences to Patriot fans, Cowboys, we weren't even there, so we can't say anything, but Tom Brady, an incredible quarterback, maybe the greatest of all time, uh, won so many Super Bowls, you might not know this, he's married to a supermodel, and their household income together uh, each year is something, just a paltry $76 million, okay? So the guy has a lot going for him, right? top of his craft, uh, successful, beautiful spouse, lots of money. And when he was interviewed after winning one of the Super Bowls, he said, you know, I don't know. I just think there's got to be more to life than this. John Lennon, the famous Beatles singer at the height of his fame, with all the attention on him, uh, got to a really desperate place and realized, you know, what I'm really looking for is happiness. Happiness and I don't know where to find it. Kobe Bryant, one of the best basketball players of all time, drafted to the NBA out of high school, won a number of NBA championships, very well off himself, was interviewed by Newsweek, and they said, hey, with all of these accomplishments and achievements, are you happy? He said, you know, I don't think so, because I don't even believe in happiness. I don't believe in happiness right? Happiness is elusive. It's hard to come by. It's not necessarily where we think it's going to be. There's a Harvard psychologist uh, by the name of Daniel Gilbert who wrote a book on happiness, and he said after all his years of research and study, this is what he's found. He found that we know people are very bad at remembering how happy they were. They're very poor at predicting how happy they'll be. They aren't even good at saying how happy they are in general. We need help, because we long for happiness. We're drawn to happiness. We hunger for things that would bring us joy. And yet at the same time, it is elusive. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. And we're not even sure, are we happy right now? Was I happy back then? What will make me happy in the future? I'm sure for Brady and for John Lennon and for Kobe, all of those things, all of their achievements were things that they thought at one point in their life would make them happy. And yet they get there and they're like, ah, I don't know that this is quite it. And I don't know if you have ever felt that. Now thinking back to our our list of the different things that made us happy, as I was thinking about that, I realized that I think it would be a very small minority of people when we're talking about things that make us happy, even here in the church on a Sunday morning, that in our top 10 list that we would think to list Jesus, scripture, the Bible, anything like that. And I don't say that to bring anyone down. It's just an interesting observation of what is. And I realized as I thought about my own life, I don't normally associate Jesus and happiness or Jesus and joy, the church and joy together. It's not a common association. Remember as as a, a guy going into college, I wanna be happy at school And for me, I was pursuing happiness, right? And there was no way in my mind, no category to think that happiness would be found in a church. I thought it'd be found on frat row, right? And that's a common experience for people going into college. I remember my dad taught at a Christian uh, university, and even as a high school student, they were still debating and they had dancing outlawed on campus. I remember thinking, man, Don't go to that school for happiness, right? They're all like, you know, just uptight. Um, When I got married to Christina, I had become a believer my freshman year, started following Jesus, was growing in him. And when Christina and I got married, uh, we read a book that was real popular kind of in our friend group of people who had just gotten married. And the book was about how to have a good marriage. And its central thesis, the main point that I'll always remember And I don't know what the author's full intent behind this was, but the main point was God didn't bring you into marriage to make you happy. He brought you into marriage to make you holy. And I don't know how the author intended it, but for me, the way that I took that was, okay, I'm married now and God's desire for me in this marriage is not that I or my wife would be happy, but that we would be holy that we would have godly character, that we would be like him. And for me, what it, what it made it feel like was, holiness was way up here, this was important to God. My happiness was down here. It was inconsequential. It was insignificant. Maybe even incongruent. The way that I took it was, well, you can't have both. You either have to choose holiness, or you have to choose happiness. And really, marriage is meant to make you holy, so don't expect to be happy, that's how it seemed to me. And I realized that for many of us, when we start thinking about Jesus, when we start thinking about the Bible, when we start thinking about the church, it's just not a natural association to think happiness and Jesus go together, or happiness and scripture go together, or happiness and the church go together. And so sometimes we, we don't look for happiness or joy in the place that it really is to be found because we haven't been told where it is. Now, my wife and I were very different people. She's very organized. And so, in our house, uh, when we're on our A game, everything has a place and there's a place for everything. And she loves to make things organized. I'm not as organized. And the downside, the downfall to me being unorganized is when you really need something, I don't have a great guess as to where it is, right? If you need to know where something is, ask my wife. But the upside to being disorganized is I always find surprises in unsuspecting places. (laughs) Man, I can't find my headphones. Where do they go? I do my laundry. I'm like, oh, they were in my pants pocket the whole time. Over the holiday, we're cleaning out some stuff. Hey, I found a check I hadn't cashed. That's awesome. I'm just full of surprises in that way, right? It can be maddening, but it can also be very fun. With with this deal of happiness, with joy, and where we find it, I think it comes in what can be a surprising place to many of us. And what I want to share with you and what I want to lead you in is for you to be able to see that this happiness that we long for is ultimately found and is available to us in Jesus. And that it's part of God's desire and plan for our life. Is not that you would be holy at the expense of being happy, but that happiness and holiness are actually linked. That true holiness leads to true happiness. That they're not incongruent with one another but that where the Lord would lead us is into holiness and that holiness is marked with joy. And so we're gonna go on an experiential journey over this month that I wanna invite you into of studying and learning and growing in joy. The joy that Jesus has for us, the joy that Jesus desires for us, that we would grow as individuals, that you would grow in your relationships, that we would grow in our ministries, that we would grow in our marriages, that we grow with our kids, that we grow at our work, that we grow at our schools and our neighbors, that we grow in joy, that we'd become more joyful people as the result of knowing what God desires for us and letting Jesus fill us with the joy that he desires to give us. And so I want to walk you kind of on this progression. I want to ask for you to participate, and it's all centered around one scripture, John 17, 13. And I want to invite you to take out your Bibles, either from the seat underneath, or if you brought your Bible, way to go, or pull it out on your phone. I'll give you just a minute. We're going to John seventeen thirteen. And last year, just as a review, we learned that when we take time ourselves to open up God's word, it sinks to a deeper place in our lives. So I want you to open up God's word and I want to take you there. I want to take you straight to the words of Jesus. You'll also notice in the chairs and the seat back uh, that we have these journals uh, that are available to you. They're our gift to you. Uh, And on the inside of them, this is really cool, it has our declaration So I know some of you have asked, hey, could we get a copy of that declaration? It's right there. And then you have space to take notes. And I want to encourage you to take notes of what the Lord speaks to you and desires to teach you as we go through his word today. So you can take that journal if you don't have one, mark it up, get your Bible out, and let's dig into God's word on this topic of joy. John 17, 13, Jesus is about to go to the cross He's in this moment, it's called his high priestly prayer. It's this prayer recorded in the Gospel of John where Jesus is just pouring out his heart to the Lord. And it's very significant. And in verse 13, he says a phrase that has just gripped me and I wanna share it with you. John 17, 13, Jesus speaking to the Father says, I'm coming to you now. Father, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, get this, may have the full measure of my joy within them. Let's read that again. Jesus saying to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things, I give them these words, while I am still in the world, so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So Jesus, in this very personal moment, pouring out his heart to the Father, says, you know what I desire for my people? Why I've given them these words, why I've been here, why I've been teaching them, is I desire the full measure of my joy to be in them. Meaning, we, as the followers of Jesus, his desire is that the full measure of his joy would be found in us. He wants to take that and deposit it in our lives. Now, this is an incredible statement when you think about it. But what makes it incredible is realizing what does he mean by the full measure of his joy? Because if Jesus is, as many of us think, mostly angry, he doesn't really have a whole lot of joy to give to us. If Jesus is mostly sad, He surely doesn't have a whole lot of joy to give to us, so it's not that great of a promise. I mean, the full measure of your joy might be like this much. But if, as I want to show you today, that Jesus was marked by and filled with joy, in fact, Jesus is the greatest practitioner of joy that human history has ever known, if that is the case, this is an incredible promise and invitation from the Lord for you and for me. And so what I wanna do is I wanna start there on that phrase, the full measure of my joy. I wanna help you see that. I wanna help you taste that. I wanna help you let that reshape our image of God, our understanding of who God is, and we're gonna go through a lot of scriptures because I want us all to be able to see that. That's the foundation. And then next week, I wanna invite you to come back because we're gonna talk about not just the joy of Jesus, but his desire and plan for our joy. God's plan for your joy. Because I believe that God desires to increase your joy this year. And then on the 19th, we are going to learn practices for joy. And in this journey about joy, when we think God desires my joy, sometimes we think, okay, what that means is when I'm 25, I'm gonna get a great job. And when I'm 30, I'm gonna find a great spouse. And when I'm 35, we're gonna go through some hard things, but they're gonna turn out okay, and we're gonna have, that's God's plan for my joy. And I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning that there is a very real part for you and I to play in cultivating the joy that Jesus desires to give us. And he wants to apprentice us in very specific things that you and I have the power in our control to do, and that as we do them, it causes joy to grow in our lives. That's gonna be on the 19th. And then, with that, coupled with that, we are going to begin, and what I hope becomes an annual tradition for our church, we're gonna begin on January 20th, a season of prayer and fasting. And we're gonna take 21 days to pray and to fast and to contend specifically about joy, that we would grow in joy. And you might be like, oh, 21 days, are you serious? That's what my daughter said when she saw it. Now let me just break it down for you a little bit. So the first week, I want to encourage you, and of course, you can do whatever the Lord leads you in this. It's great. But the first week, what I want to encourage us all is to take time that week to fast from food. And that might mean fasting from a meal. That might mean fasting for a day. That might be fasting for a couple days or for the whole week. But for the first week, I want to encourage all of us to take time to abstain from feasting our flesh in order to feast on God. Week two, I think this is actually going to be the more significant challenge, is that eat whatever you eat, it's great, but week two, I'm gonna challenge you to fast from media. Oh, it just got quiet in there. Right? like fast from food, okay, cool. Fast from media, Ooh. And what I'm meaning by that is, like we put down our phones, our tablets, our laptops, our computers, our screens, whatever, our earbuds. Whatever case that may be, because I just realized that we marinate ourselves so much in all the different forms of media that we take in. And for a week, I want to challenge you. And I know some of you, you need to use screens at work, and that's totally fine. I'm talking about options that you control. <clears throat> I want to challenge you, instead of marinating on Instagram, Instagram, or marinating on Netflix, or marinating on this musician or that, to marinate for a week on Jesus. And as we marinate on him and use that time and space and bandwidth that we have to look at him, I believe that he's going to increase our joy. And then week three, I think this will be very challenging as well. So pick up your phone again, pick up your food again, but week three, I'm going to challenge you to fast from negativity, criticism, and complaining. Right? That'll be a doozy. And don't you know, in an election year, there's going to be a whole lot of negativity, criticism, complaining going on. And so we're going to take a week just to free up some some space on your computer. I have this little program on my laptop that tells me when the, the computer's getting too full and it wants me to clean everything up. So you clean all the old stuff out. And I'm saying for a week, let's just clean out all the negativity that just swirls around in our brains so often and set our minds on Jesus. So three different ways to fast over the three weeks, couple that with prayer, because I believe that as the word of the Lord goes out, what we're learning about today, as God's word goes out, there has to be a partnership on our end to receive the word to partner with the word and to let it bear fruit in our life. So I'm going to do my best to pray and to prepare and to bring the word each week this month. And I want to encourage you and invite you to enter in to take these words and to let them sink deep within you and to begin to live them out in our everyday lives. Uh, As we're doing that fast on the 26th, we're going to look at the witness of a joyful church. Because I believe one of our strongest witnesses is the joy that we walk in, particularly when things don't go our way. And I believe that joy is to mark the church, and I wanna see our joy grow. I don't say that to say, you know, we're not joyful. But as I was thinking about our our spiritual growth initiative, prepare the feast, where we're taking our gifts, and we're serving the Lord, and we're believing him to transform lives. I was thinking about a feast. What do you have at a feast? You have food? You have people, but if you don't have joy, you don't have a feast. And I was like, I just get this sense that God, as we're preparing the feast, wants to increase the ingredient of joy in our church. So we're going to look at that. And then on, on February the 2nd, we're going to have a prayer service for our Sunday morning. So we're going to spend Sunday morning praying and contending for our joy. We're going to see in Scripture over this month that we are encouraged and invited to pray and to ask God for greater joy. And so we're going to put that into practice. And that all leads up to World Mandate on February 7th, 8th, and 9th. And if you don't know, World Mandate is our annual conference. It's when the whole family comes together and we link up with all the other Antiochs uh, that we're connected with. And we take time to worship God and learn about what he's doing amongst the nations. And I believe it is going to be a momentous time for us in the area of joy. And then on Sunday morning, we're gonna have Susan Peters who leads Antioch's Unbound Anti-Sex Trafficking Initiative. She'll be here sharing. And if you've ever heard her preach, she is going to bring the fire uh, and it's going to be awesome. So that's what we're going after. That's what I wanna invite you into. I wanna encourage you to come along. I'd love to lead you toward growing in joy uh, this month and this year. But today, what I'm trying to do is to help us all see that first thing. We've gotta see what is the measure of Jesus' joy. Again, because if it's small, this this promise isn't a big deal. But if it's large, if it's significant, if it's massive, then this is great news. So let's go to Hebrews chapter one, verse eight and nine. I'm gonna give you a lot of scriptures today because I want you to see I'm not pulling one just kind of random verse and kind of making it mean what I want it to mean. I wanna show you over and over and over again that the scriptures are very intentional to show us the measure of Jesus's joy. Hebrews chapter one, verse eight and nine The writer of Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, and he quotes it like this. He says, but of the Son, meaning of Jesus, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We've got all that, we agree with all that, but then look at this. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Let me break it down, what that actually means. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is this Old Testament prophecy from the Psalms that he is saying describes Jesus. And when you read it, you're like, this is describing Jesus. He says that Jesus walked in more gladness, more joy, more happiness than any human being who's ever lived. Let that sink in for a moment. That Jesus is the most joyful being that ever walked the face of the earth. That he's been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond humanity. Meaning his joy is large, significant, it's historic, it's massive. And that's the joy that he's wanting to plant within each one of us. Later on in Hebrews, it talks about that Jesus was motivated by joy that he was motivated by joy even when going through very difficult, hard things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two said this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, which he's exhorting us to do, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus had joy as his motivation. And this is important to see when we're saying that Jesus is joyful, it doesn't mean that he never experienced sorrow. We know that Jesus was a man of sorrows. It doesn't mean that he never felt sad. It doesn't mean that he ever felt any other emotion like anger or any of those things. But what it means is that what he's coming back to again and again and again is joy. It means that sorrow is not the last word. It means that pain is not the last word. It means that uh, anger is not the last word, but that there is joy. That's the last word for Jesus. That's the resting place. That's the, the level place for him. Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Luke describing Jesus, describes him like this. He said, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, so note that, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. So note right there, it describes Jesus as full of joy. It links the Holy Spirit to joy. And then later on, it says that the Father was moved by pleasure. So what we see is this joy is not just a characteristic of Jesus, but it's a characteristic of the triune God. That God the Father is marked by joy. That God the Son is marked by joy. That God the Holy Spirit is marked by joy. The Apostle Paul, writing about God in 1 Timothy, he's writing to his protege and he's trying to encourage him. He's trying to build them up. And he includes this incredibly beautiful description of God, 1 Timothy 6, 14 through 16. And he says this, that you keep the commandment without stain or approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus, which he will bring about at the proper time. And then he begins to describe God. He said, he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What I want you to know is that phrase, he who is blessed, is an English translation of a Greek word that means happy. So what Paul is writing here is he's writing, I want you to know, he who is the happy and only sovereign God. He who is the happy God. Now, if I'm writing a letter or you're writing a letter and we're trying to encourage someone around who God is, and I'm sending that letter, I, I think you probably as well, you know, we might put in there that God is sovereign. We might put in there something about God being king of kings and lord of lords. We might include his immortality. We might say that there's no one like him, that he has an unapproachable light. We might say that He's the spirit. We might say that to him be honor and eternal dominion. I think we all like, okay, if you've been in church, like I get those things. I don't know that any of us in that list would include the happy one. Let alone start and lead out with God, the happy one, the only sovereign. And yet Paul's revelation of who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit speaking through him, lets us know that when we see God, when we come before the Lord, when we consider God in our minds, that one of his characteristics is that he is happy, that he is marked with joy. And so, so many of us, when we come to pray, we kind of envision God. We think many times that he's mostly sad at us and everybody else that he's mostly mad about what we've done wrong or everybody else has done wrong. And what we're seeing in scripture is that we come before God, it's not that he doesn't ever feel sad or doesn't ever feel mad, but that mostly he is marked by joy and gladness. And this will change your relationship with God when you let this sink in. Last one that I wanna give you, and this is, man, I just love this verse. I pray this verse over myself so many times and honestly, I've tasted the beginning of the beginning of this and I just wanna pass it on to you. It's such a good one. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Note that phrase, you fill me with joy in your presence. So what the psalmist is saying is that when he comes before the Lord, when he comes into the presence of God, What he is filled with is joy. Now we all know you cannot give away what you do not possess. I cannot give you joy if I do not possess joy. I cannot give you money that I do not have. So what this means is that when we come before the Lord, that he is filled with joy and out of his fullness that he fills us with joy. So take it back to the John 17 verse and what you see when Jesus is saying that he wants to take the full measure of his joy and put it in you and put it in me, that this is significant. And maybe this happiness and this this joy that we've been looking for and looking in a thousand places, maybe it's in a really surprising place. Maybe it's in Jesus. I would put before you, it is in Jesus. And then we might have just been bypassing that all along. And that if we'll come to the Lord over this month, and we'll commit ourselves to learning and to growing, that Jesus wants to take his joy, the full measure of his joy, and he wants to plant that and deposit that in our lives. That's what God desires for us, is that we would walk in his joy. Significant word, and I'm excited to go on this journey as a church. Would love for you to be a part, just looking at the joy of Jesus, learning how to cultivate that in our own lives, and becoming a community marked by joy. I was telling my wife, like, I don't know of something that I desire maybe more than that our marriage would be marked by joy, that our holiness and our happiness, which are linked together, would be very high. For my family, I'm like, I don't, I don't know of a thing that I would want my kids, uh, one of the things, I guess, that's high up on the list that I'd want them to experience and taste in our family is a joyful family. Because I believe when kids taste a joyful, holy, loving family, right, that, that I've, heard, I've heard it said, it ruins you for anything else. And I don't know that there's something that I desire more for our church that we would walk, that you would walk, that you would have a more joyful uh, spirit, that you'd have a more joyful relationship with God, a more joyful marriage, a more joyful house, a more joyful school, a more joyful place of work. And I believe that joy comes through Jesus and through following him, and it's what God desires for each one of us. So I wanna invite you to stand as we close today. I wanna leave you with that word, and now we're gonna go to the Lord together. And we're going to do that by taking communion together. And as we take of the bread and we take of the cup, as you come forward, I want you in your mind to consider the Lord. And whatever image of Jesus kind of comes into your mind, I don't want you to, to go with the sad or the mad. I want you to remember that Jesus is marked by joy. And as we come to take communion today, what we're saying is, Lord, we're coming and we're looking for the full measure of your joy to be planted within us. So the officiants are going to come forward. The worship team is going to lead us in song. And when you're ready, you can come forward and take of the bread and take of the cup and go back to your seat uh, and take communion and remember the Lord and look to him and look to his joy. I want to pray for us as we do that. Jesus, you are filled with joy. Thank you, God. It's just so exciting that you have an incredible measure of joy, the greatest amount of joy that human history has ever known. And you don't just want to keep that joy to yourself, but that you desire for each one of us to experience and to walk in and to be marked and to be moved by your joy. So God, we look to you here at the beginning of the year and we're hungry to learn more. We're hungry to walk with you and we're hungry to grow in the joy that you're leading us into. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can come forward for communion.
1: You gave up heaven for earth. Stepped down from glory.